The spring sun rose early and clear, casting long shadows down the valley. At this time of year it rose above the red Taurus peaks and shone directly down the great boulevard to the heart of the city, where the road circling the citadel picked out three other ancient thoroughfares, each marking a precise point of the compass. With the dawn came the mournful sound of the muezzin from the mosque in the east of the city, calling those of a different faith to prayer, as it had done since the Christian city had fallen to Arab armies in the seventh century. It also brought the first coach party of tourists, gathering by the portcullis, bleary-eyed and dyspeptic from their early starts and hurried breakfasts. As they stood yawning and waiting for their day of culture to begin, the muezzin's cry ended, leaving behind a different, eerie sound that seemed to drift down the ancient streets beyond the heavy wooden gate. It was a sound that crept into each of them, picking at their private fears, forcing eyes wider and hands to pull coats and fleeces tighter round soft, vulnerable bodies that suddenly felt the penetrating chill of the morning. It sounded like a hive of insects waking in the hollow depths of the earth, or a great ship groaning as it broke and sank into the silence of a bottomless sea. A few exchanged nervous glances, shivering involuntarily as it swirled around them, until it finally took shape as the vibrating hum of hundreds of deep male voices intoning sacred words in a language few could make out and none could understand. The huge portcullis suddenly shifted in its stone housing, making most of them jump as electric motors began to lift it on reinforced steel cables hidden away in the stonework to preserve the appearance of antiquity. The drone of electric motors drowned out the incantations of the monks until, by the time the portcullis completed its upward journey and slammed into place, it had vanished, leaving the army of tourists to slowly invade the steep streets leading to the oldest fortress on earth in spooked silence. They made their way through the complex maze of cobbled streets, trudging steadily upwards past the bathhouses and spas, where the miraculous, health-giving waters of ruin had been enjoyed long before the Romans annexed the idea. Past the armories and smithies, now restaurants and gift shops selling souvenir grails, vials of spa water and holy crosses, until they arrived at the main square, bordered on one side by the immense public church, the only holy building in the entire complex they were allowed to enter. Some of the dopier onlookers had been known to stop here, gaze up at its façade and complain to the stewards that the citadel didn't look anything like it did in the guidebooks. Redirected to an imposing stone gateway in the far corner of the square, they would turn a final bend and stop dead. Grey. Monumental. Immense, a tower of rock rose majestically before them, sculpted in places into ramparts and rough battlements, with the occasional stained-glass window, the only hint at the mountain's sacred purpose, set into its face like jewels. The same sun that shone down on this slowly advancing army of tourists now warmed Samuel, lying motionless more than a thousand feet above them, the feeling crept back into his limbs as the heat returned, bringing with it a deep and crucifying pain. He reached out and pushed himself into a sitting position, staying that way for a moment, his eyes still closed, his ruined hands flat against the summit, soothed by the primordial chill from the ancient stone. Finally, 
he opened them and gazed upon the city of ruins stretched out far below him. He began to pray, as he always did when he'd made it safely to a peak. Dear God, our Father. But as his mouth began to form the words, an image surfaced in his mind. He faltered. After the hell he'd witnessed the previous night, the obscenity that had been perpetrated in his name, he realised he was no longer sure who or what he was praying to. He felt the cold rock beneath his fingers, the rock from which, somewhere below him, the room that held the sacrament had been carved. He pictured it now, and what it contained, and felt wonder and terror and shame. Tears welled up in his eyes, and he searched his mind for something, anything to replace the image that haunted him. The warm, rising air carried with it the smell of sun-toasted grass, stirring a memory. A picture began to form, of a girl, vague and indistinct at first, but sharpening as it took hold. A face, both strange and familiar, a face full of love, pulled into focus from the blur of his past. His hand shifted instinctively to his side, to the sight of his oldest scar, one not freshly made and bloody, but long since healed. As he pressed against it, he felt something else, buried in the corner of his pocket. He pulled it out and gazed down upon a small, waxy apple, the remains of the simple meal he had not been able to eat earlier in the refectory. He had been too nervous, knowing that in a few short hours he would be inducted into the most ancient and sacred brotherhood on earth. Now, here he was, on top of the world, in his own personal hell. He devoured the apple, feeling the sweetness flood into his aching body, warming him from within as it fueled his exhausted muscles. He chewed the core to nothing and spat the pips into his lacerated palm. A splinter of rock was embedded in the fleshy pad. He raised it to his mouth and yanked it away, feeling the sharp pain of its extraction. He spat it into his hand, wet with his own blood, a tiny replica of the slender peak he now perched upon. He wiped it clean with his thumb and stared at the grey rock beneath. It was the same colour and texture as the heretical book he had been shown in the depths of the great library during his preparation. Its pages had been made from similar stone, their surfaces crammed with symbols carved by a hand long since rendered to dust. The words he had read there, a prophecy in shape and form, seemed to warn of the end of things if the sacrament became known beyond the walls of the citadel. He looked out across the city, the morning sun catching his green eyes and the high, sharp cheekbones beneath them. He thought of all the people down there, living their lives, striving in thought and deed to do good, to get on, to move closer to God. After the tragedies of his own life, he had come here to the wellspring of faith to devote himself to the same ends. Now, here he knelt, as high as it was possible to get on the holiest of mountains, and he had never felt further from him. Images drifted across his darkened mind, images of what he had lost, of what he had learned. And as the prophetic words carved in the secret stone of the heretical book crawled through his memory, he saw something new in them. And what he had first read as a warning now shone like a revelation. 
He had already carried knowledge of the sacrament this far outside the citadel. Who was to say he could not carry it further? Maybe he could become the instrument to shine light into this dark mountain and bring an end to what he had witnessed. And even if he was wrong, and this crisis of faith was the weakness of one not fit to divine the purpose of what he had seen, and surely God would intervene. The secret would remain so, and who would mourn the life of one confused monk? He glanced up at the sky. The sun was rising higher now, the bringer of light, the bringer of life. It warmed him as he looked back down at the stone in his hand, his mind as sharp now as its jagged edge. He knew what he must do.